Their jerseys may not hang in the rafters in Staples Center, but they hang in our hearts. You're listening to the Forgotten Lakers Podcast. Hey, Jeff Mundy. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. No problem. Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about the podcast. It centers around uh, former Los Angeles Lakers players talking about their history with basketball, uh, their time with the Lakers, and what they're doing now. Uh, gosh, to be honest, I've been trying to find a way to get you on for a couple of years. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, so I've done, you're on the 2002 title team, obviously. I've talked to several of your teammates from that year. Uh, Devin George, Joe Crispin, yeah. Mike Kimberthy, Samaki Walker. Uh, I even did a couple episodes with some guys from the preseason that year. Uh, Paul Shirley and Peter Cornell, just talking about their Laker experience. Yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite ones I did not too long ago, actually, was with uh, your old strength and conditioning coach, Jim Cotta. Um, all those guys. Yeah, it was all it was a good time um, talking to those guys. And, you know, I was I was also wanted to tell you, you're the third Jackson, Mississippi native I've talked to who also has Laker ties. Uh, the other being Maurice Carter and Trey Johnson. Yep. Yep. Those are my guys. Yeah. Uh, I kept in touch with Trey a little bit. I, I told him I was going to do an episode with you, and he said, uh, growing up, you were his Michael Jordan. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. You're the coach of uh, Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State. Uh, how's that going for you right now, just in terms of quarantine and keeping up with your guys? Uh, how are you able to kind of stay involved with that right at the moment? Well, you know, it's just like everybody else. We're kind of in limbo right now trying to wait and see, um, you know, what actually is going to be put in place, you know, if we're going to be able to try to get kids on campus, when we're going to get back to campus, you know. So it's a lot of unknowns right now. So everybody, I think everybody's kind of in the same same space right now, just waiting to see what happens. Are you able to kind of keep tabs on players in terms of like off-season workouts or is everything just still in limbo even in that regard? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard right now because we can't get in gym, you know? <laughs> so yeah. you know, try to stay in contact with the guys and, and see what they're doing and, and make sure, you know, at least they can get out on the track if, if possible um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of stay in shape. That's the biggest thing because we don't know how long this thing is going to last. We don't know um, when we'll be able to start up or, or anything. So uh, it's kind of put everybody in a tough position. So it's – but you know, we're all in the same position. So we might as well just, you know, we'll try to make the best of it whenever uh, we find out what is going on. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be tough. Okay, so yeah, digging into your basketball history a little bit. At what age did you start playing, and uh, when did it? Re- when did you realize that you know you probably had a real future in basketball? Well, um, man, I've, I've always played basketball because you know, being a kid in Mississippi, we played outdoors all the time. So football and basketball were like everything to us, you know. Of course, football was like my first love. Coming, uh, growing up in the South, we all loved football. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really started playing basketball, um, you know, kind of organized as uh, probably eighth grade. Uh, up until then, it was football really dominated my life. And I, I, I always thought I would be a football player, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> and, um, and I, I started playing basketball in middle school, and I really fell in love with it. Um, 
you know, the the fact that I was only like five feet at the time kind of put a damper on my bat, my football career because I was too short to be a quarterback. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I started playing basketball and, and um, a couple of coaches took a, a, a liking to me. And, and uh, man, it, it I guess the feeling I, I got when, you, when we were playing and, and playing in front of crowds and the excitement really um, just – did something to me and I just fell in love with it. And since that, just those times, I always worked hard at it. Um, and, and, and always, even as a young kid, you, 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 you watched the NBA and you did that stuff. But at the time, I, I think, you know, that, that type of thing wasn't on my mind. I would just always, I just loved the way uh, the game made me feel. Yeah. So how did you, and you know, it's interesting. Um, you actually followed the, when I was, I told you that episode with Trey Johnson, Y'all right. had the exact same path in terms of like high school and college going from Murrah High School to Alcorn State and then Jackson State. He did the exact same thing you did. Right. Yeah. Right. So what went into your decision to first go to Alcorn State and then eventually transfer to Jackson? Well, I, I, when I met uh, with uh, uh, Coach uh, Dave Whitney, he came to my house and sat down with my parents and we all talked and um, we just hit it off. I really liked his personality i like um you know how he came across as a family guy and treated me like family and you know talked about my development and the things that he saw for me in my career and and after that meeting i told my dad hey i want to play for that guy Mm -hmm. and um after that i i I committed and it was over i never talked to anybody else (laughs) (laughs) um and and you know and, and i I had other offers. I had quite a few um, colleges that were, you know, offering me scholarships. You know, even you know, mid-major, higher, higher than you know the SWAC level. But you know, growing up in Mississippi and growing up going to see Jackson State, Alcorn, Mississippi Valley, Southern, I went to all those games. You know, mm-hmm. all the football games, all the basketball games, and that just had such an influence on me because I fell in love with the environment and um, you know. Going to HBCU was was like was it was a no brainer for me. It what went into your decision to then transfer to Jackson? Well, Coach Coach Whitney was uh he was let go after my freshman year, uh. and um and I was uh, I ended up being freshman of the year that in the conference. So um you know I still had some options. I had you know coaches calling me, and so I couldn't really make my mind up where I wanted to go. So I went, you know, of course living in Jackson, being from Jackson. I decided, I said, hey, I'll just enroll in school here and you know, we'll figure it out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that was Coach Stoglin's first year at Jackson State was the year I, I went to sit out. And I, I don't even think he knew I was enrolled in school there because I never told anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I, but I would go to the gym and play and do all that stuff. And I think he saw me in the gym and somebody told him who I was. And, you know, uh, after that, he called me over and, and asked me some questions and I told him, you know, he asked me would I be interested in coming there and play. And I told him he needs to talk to my dad. And mm-hmm. um, it's kind of the same situation. We met with him and um, he sounded like a, a genuine guy. And um, I ended up staying, you know, and, and uh, probably one of the best decisions uh, we've ever made. So you end up finishing your college career at Jackson State. Go ahead and get drafted in the first round 10th overall by Detroit. Um, you catch, I guess, the last half or um, 
the last season of Isaiah Thomas's career as a rookie. Uh, what impact did he have on you during your rookie season? A lot, a lot. I, I, um, I learned a lot from him just watching the preparation, watching. I even got to work out with him in the summer and um, just picking his mind. Um, I, I always said he's, he, he's arguably the best small guard to ever play in the NBA. Um, you can mm-hmm. you can argue that point. Um, and me being a small guard, I always looked up to him and looked up and, and always looked up to how he played, his competitive fire, his leadership, his tenacity, all those things I think when you're small you have to have. He had every ingredient plus some, you know. And for me, being able to see and 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 watch and listen and learn, it it it, it was invaluable to me, you know, and, and um you know, unfortunately, he only was there for a year with me, um, so uh, it was limited. But but I, I soaked in all the things that uh, I possibly could from him. Yeah, he was before my time in terms of being an NBA fan. But uh, you know, sometimes I'll YouTube his highlights, and he truly was unbelievable at his size, his ball handling, and yeah, he he was phenomenal. <laughs> he was phenomenal. <laughs> um, then you spend the next six years uh, in Detroit. Uh, your second year, you get a rookie come in by the name of Grant Hill. Uh, just for people who may be listening to this, who you know missed his prime, who uh, you know missed his prime his first half of his career in Detroit. Uh, what can you say to people about him? Just to describe like how good Detroit Piston Grant Hill was. He had he, uh, and I, I talk about him a lot because people ask me about him quite a bit, and I always tell people had he not gotten injured. Um, we probably have him in the conversation with LeBron and Kobe. Mm-hmm. That's how good he was. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, he'd be right there in that argument. And I, and I saw it firsthand, you know, he, uh, Grant was a walking triple double. He, he was, he was a uh, lebron player before LeBron. So then you spend one year in Milwaukee and then the, premise of this episode talking about your time as a Laker the 2001-2002 season Lakers are coming off two straight titles uh they acquire you in the offseason do you remember uh what you were doing when you found out you got traded to the Lakers yeah that was uh, actually that was like a tough time in my life because uh that's the summer my little brother was in a car accident and passed away yeah that that was really a hard it was a hard period of my life um probably wasn't the best time for me to be traded somewhere <laughs> you know because I wasn't like um I was stable but I wasn't I wasn't like spiritually physically into basketball the the way I had been in the past you know um because that, that just took a lot out of me and, and having to um you know go to LA and and um you know, be part of a, a, a team that was under the pressure that they were under. Um, you know, mentally, I was I was in a different place, and and, um, and maybe it was good for me because it was a you know the, the distraction probably was good, good for me. Um, but it was a, it was a really a truly tough time in my life at that time, and um, basketball uh, was probably like not the most important thing at that time because of what I had just went through and understanding you know, how precious life was and, and losing someone that was that close to me. Sure. Um, it, it was tough. It, it was really tough that, that, you know, and I kept a lot of it to myself. I never really shared a lot um, 
of what was going on, you know, inside of me, except with my wife. Uh, she, she, you know, she knew the struggles and things that I went through and um, just trying to get through each day um, and, and staying focused. You know, it was tough. It, it was, it was extremely tough. And it, it took years for me to kind of bounce back and, and um, find the genuine love uh, for what I did and, and some enjoyment out of playing because, you know, uh, basketball was such a big part of what me and my brother, that was a big part of our bond, you know, right. and, and, and he had just, uh, he had just committed to go play at Jackson State. And, um, and then I had just gotten traded and, and, you know, that tragic thing happened. So it was just, it was tough. It, it was a tough situation. I can imagine. Um, yeah, sorry. I, when I was doing a little bit of research for that, I did read about that and, uh, yeah, that does sound like it would be incredibly tough for enter a new situation with everything, all the turmoil in your personal life in that summer. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, the Lakers were coming off two straight titles. Uh, but y'all came out storming out of the gate. You won 16 of your first 17 games. You were playing a lot with Devin Fisher. I'm sorry, Derek Fisher out with an injury. Then you guys hit a little bit of a rut, bounced back before entering into the playoffs. But uh, I wanted to ask you just a, a Phil Jackson question. I mean, you were in the same division as the Bulls for so long when he was coaching the Bulls, and you were a member of the Pistons. And uh, you had, a, you know, I'm sure, a lot of regular season battles against the Bulls, against Jordan, against Phil Jackson. But was right. there anything that completely surprised you that you weren't expecting when he became your head coach? I don't think anything surprised me uh, because, you you know, with, with guys as historical as historic as he is as a coach, you hear all the stories, you know, being at the NBA. Uh, you hear about how he dealt with his, his players and, and, you know, how his practices were, how his philosophies were, and he pretty much made uh, got, got an understanding from each player, you know, what he expected and what, um, you know, what type of uh, situation you'd be in and, and how he approached practices and games and stuff. So nothing really surprised me. I, I just I, – I, everybody I played for, I, I always uh, tried to, to take something from them as far as, you know, their style, their approach. And I, I think the biggest thing for him I, th- I took away was how his approach was towards um, guys. He, he was a great manager of egos, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought that's where he that's where he was kind of ahead of the curve with a lot of players with a lot of other coaches um he knew how to um he knew how to um talk to a guy and and chastise him at the right time and you know uh be lenient on him when he had to be um you know it, it, he just knew he had that good feel about um, how to approach each guy within, you know, within the, the guidelines of, of the rules of the team, of course. But, you know, there were certain guys that he didn't want to do this to or that to because he knew they were sensitive in that area or whatever. But and I, I always, I thought he was just uh, a genius at managing personalities. I've heard that answer uh, or similar answers from a lot of the guys, including, you know, some of your teammates and others who were under him different seasons as well. So, yeah, it seems to be a common theme, like the management of egos and, knowing how to talk to certain players to get the best out of them. So that season, there wasn't, at least publicly, like a big Kobe and Shaq blow up like there had been in previous years or like there would be in future years. But was there, I mean, just being in the locker room every day, seeing both those guys every day, did you, was there tension that you could sense, even though there wasn't a big public blow up like in years past? No, I, I think that year they had kind of 
put everything aside because um, I think the year before that, that's when the big blowout blow up and stuff happened. Yeah. So I think after that, I think they put things aside and, and kind of just focused on, um, you know, trying to, to win another championship. And, and that season, you know, you never heard anything about the team, you know, not getting along or anything like that. So um, that, that season, I think they were pretty much, you know, everybody was kind of on the same page. Y'all head into the playoffs. Uh, you swept Portland in the first round. Uh, Spurs play the Spurs in the second round, beat them in five. Then we get into that classic series with the Kings, the 2002 Western Conference Finals. Um, I mean, so many big moments. Obviously, the Ori shot in game four, Mike Bibby's game winner in game five. Can you just take me back to what those seven games were like? You know, you guys go down 2-1, then go down 3-2 before eventually bouncing back and winning game seven in overtime. But uh, what do you take away? Or what did you take away from that series, and what do you remember most? Well, I just remember, you know, because those guys had already won a championship, and, and I had never, um, you know, been in that situation. And, and um, it really taught me how hard, regardless of how talented your team is, it takes a lot, especially when you're playing against other teams. Compare, I mean that that um, that Sacramento team was really really good, and I think yeah. they don't get credit for how good they really were. Mm-hmm. And and for us to beat them in you know seven games you know, with a with a uh, you know it was it was the series was on the balance a couple of times. And think about it, if Vladdy doesn't tip the ball out. Robert Ory never gets to attempt a shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so it's so many things that play a role in winning championships that you look back and go, wow, had this not happened? Had that, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it's a difficult thing to do. And when you win one and you understand, um, regards to how much you work and how talented your team is, a lot of things have to go right for you to win. You know, you have to be healthy. Uh, sometimes you have to get the, the right bounce of the ball, you know? Yeah, and, just like Rory said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and and those things happen for us. And um, and Phil was big into preparing, you know, uh, um, preparing to earn, you know, to deserve to win the championship. I think, he, and that's kind of how he put it: like you should deserve to win it because of the work you put in. And um, all those things kind of b- bought into the psyche of us winning it again. Yeah, that's definitely a classic series. Um, so many great games, so many great moments that anybody can YouTube. Even the, I'm a huge core, I'm a, a huge hardcore Lakers fan, so I don't buy into the whole conspiracy for Game Six that the refs gave it to y'all to send it back to Sacramento. But uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun uh, to go back and look at that series at each individual game. So yeah, y'all end up winning in Game Seven, go on to sweep the Nets, makes you an NBA champion. Uh, that was your one year in Los Angeles. Were you surprised in the off season where you when you were traded to Toronto? Not really. I wasn't surprised. And like I said, I was on such an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> it, yeah. it really didn't. It really didn't. Um, it didn't really bother me as much, you know. Had I been into it the way that I normally would have been, had not been for certain certain situations. But you know, it happened, and um, you know, I moved on, and and I was I was happy. I got to experience winning a championship, and and kind of saw. Um, the inner lying things that happen that, that that it takes to win one, and the dedication and um, the focus 
um, it was big for me. You know, I enjoyed mm-hmm. that part of it. And I kind of took that along with me as my experience, you know, to other places. Sure. Um, then another cool thing, you get to go back to Detroit the following season after spending one year with Toronto, get back to the NBA Finals, and you're actually facing the Lakers in 2004. The Lakers were heavy favorites. I was actually watching, re-watching Game 1 recently of that series where y'all went and stole Game 1 in Los Angeles. But before the game, Doc Rivers was talking about his insights and maybe what he had heard from Larry Brown. And he was saying the Pistons, if they can get to 90 points, they feel like they're going to win because of their defense. And um, so was that, I mean, the strategy just to get to 90 points and think your defense would bring you home in that series? <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, I, 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 I always enjoy listening to what people, you know, think and what people think what we were trying to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that we never um, we never thought about how many points we were going to score because we just felt like we were good enough at any given time. We had enough weapons. We had Rip Hamilton who could give you 20 a night. Uh-huh. We, had, uh, we had, you know, um, Chauncey who could give you 20 a night if need be. We had Rasheed Wallace who could give you 20 a night if need be. You know, so yeah. we weren't worried about necessarily scoring. We just wanted to be so good defensively that we put that burden on your offense to try to score against us. Right. You know, we always felt like we could stop anybody, you know, and, and it was no different with the Lakers. Our whole game plan was we're not trying to – we're not – we know we can't stop Kobe, and we know we couldn't stop Shaq. Okay, we'll give them 30 apiece. But every other player on that team, we weren't given a nothing to. Yeah, <laughs> and that was and that was our goal. We were like, "Hey, if they score thirty apiece, that's only sixty. Yeah, know? if we stop everybody else and don't give them anything, they don't have a chance against us." And that's how we felt. Yeah, well, I think I mean that sounds like obviously a strategy that worked for you guys. At the same time, Kobe did not play well in that series. I think y'all probably more or less did stop him. Maybe it was a combination of his exhaustion just from everything going on in his personal life at that time, but. um you know, he, he had a great playoffs in 2004 up until he faced you guys. And then uh, I don't know, a lot of people will say he kind of shot the Lakers out of the series. Maybe he did shoot a little too much. But I thought Tayshon and your team as a whole was able to really kind of bottle up Kobe and let Shaq do his thing but stop Kobe and everybody else. Yeah, well, we knew. We just wanted to make sure Kobe took tough shots, you know. Yeah. Um, with Tayshon, with Rip, with myself guarding him, we just wanted to make it tough for him. And, mm-hmm. and, and we knew that making it tough for him, you, you can't, you can only, you know, you guys like Kobe, you, you don't stop them. They just miss shots. Yeah. And you just wanted to make them take tough shots. And that's what we wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we were able, you know, with, with our defense and, and the way we swarmed people and we played in waves and we had, we were so deep that we could just wear you down. Like we could just, and we, we, we had done it all season. We knew exactly, you know, how to approach a, a, a certain type of player. We knew, you know, how to go at him, how to – if he wanted to bring the ball up, we were going to make sure we picked him up full court. We were going to run and jump him. It, we had so many different schemes to our defense, and, and we were so versatile with it because of those guys, Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace in the back, that there was really no weakness in our defense. Oh, Sure. 
You know, I was listening uh, to an interview Rick Fox gave within the last couple of years. I was listening to it recently. He was talking specifically about that series. And uh, he was saying after the Lakers won game two, so you'll y'all, y'all split the first two. And then the next three are going to be in Detroit. He said the Lakers thought, oh, we're going to go to Detroit, you know, take two of these games, go back home and close it out. But then in game three, y'all ran them off the floor. And I think he won by 20 or 25. <laughs> yep. they, they started looking around like, what's going on? And started pointing fingers and everything just fell apart because of y'all's defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that, and, and that's how that, that entire year we, um, we had grown so accustomed to how good we were defensively. Um, we never really worried about teams when, when they pose a certain threat to us. We, we just figured, Hey, we can stop this. We can stop that. You know, if they can beat us with their fourth and fifth option, then they're a hell of a team. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it was an impressive performance by the Pistons, but uh, as a Laker fan, it still stings a little bit. <laughs> it's supposed to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the crazy thing about it, um, I remember hearing everyone talk about that series and talk about how um, overmatched we were, and we laughed. Um, uh-huh. I, I remember being in the uh, sauna with uh, Eldon Campbell and, and, and uh, Ben Wallace and myself, and um, Rashid and we really, honestly, before the series started, felt like we should sweep them. Really? Yeah. We <laughs> those words. Look, we said that before it started. We was like, man, we should sweep these guys. I'm Elvin Campbell. We all sat there and said it. Yeah. Uh, that was going to kind of be my next question. I was going to say, did you feel like you had it after game one? But it feels like you all feel like you had it going into the series. Oh yeah, we felt like we had it before the before the first game. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> That's just how confident we were in, in ourselves, especially defensively. We just knew, because uh, we had done it all season, we we just we could take you out of anything you were trying to do. Yeah. And, and, and very few teams were that good defensively. That's true. I mean, I remember, I don't know how many games it was in a row that you guys held teams under 70 points consecutively. Right, right. And, 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 and the funny part about it, we weren't doing that on purpose. Like, it wasn't like we went out and said, we are not going to let them score 70. We were just playing our game. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In today's game, I guess that'd be equivalent to holding teams under 90 for however many games. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. A little different now. A little different now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for uh, jumping on and sharing a little bit about your time as a Laker. And uh, obviously the 2004 finals when you were a member of the Pistons. I, I was interested in getting both those takes, you know, as a Laker as an, and as an opponent. So um, right. appreciate your time and best of luck in the upcoming season whenever it can start with uh, Mississippi Valley State. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Have a good one. Thanks again. All right. You too.